Hey, this is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister at the Eagle Community Church of Christ. And you have found our podcast. We're so glad that you have. We just want to invite you out to our church anytime you get a chance. And uh, just want to tell you about our podcast episode that you're listening to. This week is Baptism Part 2. And my whole goal uh, for this episode or this sermon was to uh, kind of help us in our language, how we talk about baptism. Uh, because what we can tend to do is is really view it as something so legalistic that it loses its meaning. And so we need to understand how baptism relates to salvation and all of that is a gift of God. Again, we thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Out. Baptism. Uh, we started off with uh, that, that sermon kind of talking about how in the past we, we talked so much about baptism that, that maybe we even overdid it some. Uh, we would even gather people together in, in what we called gospel meetings. Uh, we, we stopped having those a long time ago. I don't know what you call them down here, but we would gather a bunch of baptized people together and talk about baptism. When we had a, a youth gathering, we would gather a bunch of kids together and talk about baptism. And so I think in some ways, we kind of pendulum swing away from things like that. Like we do, do something maybe too much, so we pendulum away. But still, every sermon I give, at the end at least, you hear something about uh, having that relationship with Jesus and, and how we enter into that through baptism. Uh, and, and so we, we still talk about it, but last week I wanted to kind of dive in and, and talk about what does baptism do or mean in Scripture. Uh, and so I wanted to throw this up here. This was the last uh, slide I had from last week, uh, and you'll notice I fixed uh, Paul, Paul uh, caught me after uh, service, and number three, I had Colossians 3, which is a similar passage, but not the one I was going for, but I fixed it up there. And so just to remind you, uh, what does baptism mean or do in Scripture? It connects to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we see that in the act of when we are baptizing someone, you see going down and into the water and coming up. And so it connects us to that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus there in Romans 6. Uh, number two, uh, baptism is where we see uh, or experience the forgiveness of sins and no more debt. And there in Colossians 2, Paul talks about how uh, before we come into that right relationship with Jesus, we have this stuff between us and God. We have this debt. We have these sins. And it's, it's this point of baptism where you become in good standing with God and you are forgiven of your sins uh, and you have no more debt. And we also talked about uh, Acts 2 there for that as well. Number three was we are clothed with Christ uh, there in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So uh, it talks about when we are baptized, you know, we, kind of, we come up out of the water and we are putting on Christ. We are becoming Jesus' people in this moment. And so we talked about what all that meant, that if you want to be clothed with Christ, you want to put on Jesus, this is uh, what Scripture says. Number four was uh, it ties to the larger context of Scripture. So that passage from 1 Peter 3 talks about how uh, baptism, which it says baptism now saves you, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, uh, but he ties that back to the story of Noah and said, remember how Noah and his family were saved through the flood. And so you're, you're, you're getting the symbolism, you're getting the, the, the mental imagery of, of tying this, as Peter does, to Noah as we enter uh, the waters of baptism. Number five, baptism is when we receive the Holy Spirit, and that was Acts 2.38. Now, we did talk about how 
there is an exception in Scripture, and we need to be okay with that. Uh, you remember the story of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile, and Cornelius received the, the Holy Spirit. He received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit before he was baptized. Peter sees this, and Peter says, man, this guy, this Gentile guy has the same Holy Spirit that we have. And so in that moment, Peter sees, oh, okay, God, God has opened this all up to uh, the whole world. It's not just Jews, not Israelites. It is the whole world. And so we talked about what that means, that uh, hopefully we have the attitude that even when things don't fit into our what we believe the rest of Scripture may teach, but when we see something like that, we say, thank you, Lord, for saving this man. And that's the attitude we should have for that. Because if we come into uh, this relationship with other people and we read all about how we're supposed to love one another, and then we see something like that and we think, God, you shouldn't have saved him. I don't know how loving that is. Number six is tied to discipleship. We talked about that, and that's from the Great Commission as Jesus spoke those words uh, that you go out into all the world making disciples, you know, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you know, teaching them to obey all the commands that, that I've told you. And so we talked about the importance of baptism, what it means, what it does, and we, we broke all of that down. It's, it's on uh, Facebook if you want to see, or, or YouTube if you want to see video. Uh, we have a podcast as well. You can go listen to that as well. But uh, I wanted to kind of take this week to kind of dive in a little bit more. Because what can happen as we talk about things uh, here at church is we can use language that is unhelpful. We can use language to kind of distort really what Scripture is trying to convey. And I, I hope after this sermon that you'll say, oh, yeah, I get what you're, you're saying with that, how we, how we may use our language. Uh, so we're going to start here in Colossians 2. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And so uh, what I want to do by just showing that scripture this morning is just ask you the question, do you want to be in Christ? Is that an important thing for you? The, the importance here and the importance of last week's sermon is that I, we want everyone to be in Christ, right? And, and so we look at this, and what we see is, where do you receive this fullness? In Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in, in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So if you want to have that relationship, you want to be in that same status, you get into Jesus Christ. And that's, that's kind of what we've been talking about. Okay? Uh, in verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So you see that connection there. Having been buried with baptism is when all of this happens. Uh, and it says, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. I highlighted that for a reason. I want you to, I want you to read this with me. In which you were also raised with him through what? Your faith, your faith in the working of of who? God. Not you? You don't get credit for walking up the stairs? Whoever said no, you're right. Because it's not about that, is it? This whole idea, this whole topic, we can, we can kind of skew it and be kind of so legalistic about these things that we think this is just another checklist item that I have to do, Right? becomes a bullet point. It's something I can write, oh yeah, I have done that. And what we read in scripture is actually 
All we're doing is joining God uh, in, in this grand narrative. And so when we come to God, it is God working in this moment that we were raised, not we raised ourselves, right? We were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you see written in that scripture there where it says, here's where you were good enough that God owed you salvation. Here's where you cross the threshold into you did 51% and God did 49. No, he has taken it away. Who nailed it to the cross? He did. Nothing that we do does any of that. In Galatians 3, um, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, which we talked about just a second ago, and because of that, there's, either, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So as we read scriptures, we come to that, we come to this scripture and say, okay, well, I want to be a part of that promise. This promise that, that so many people have, have held up and, and that was promised to God so many years ago with Abraham, he said, this is how you do it right here, if you belong to Christ. And so we want to know how do you belong to Jesus. And Jesus uh, says it this way in John 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus says, you want to make this relationship right? Here I am. I'm the way. We come to Jesus in this moment to make that relationship with God right. So for the, uh, the bulk of uh, the rest of the sermon, I want to focus in on Ephesians 2. I, I think this, this part of uh, Ephesians is very helpful for this discussion to kind of understand uh, what all of this should look like in our relationship to uh, whether it's baptism or are we talking about salvation or whatever it is. So Ephesians 2, if, you've got your, uh, if you're taking notes this morning, it starts this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, Paul talks about it this way, and, and you see it in Scripture. It's either one or the other. You're either dead in your sins or you are alive in Jesus. Okay, so that's what he's setting up here. So you were dead in your transgressions. Remember, he's talking to church people here. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live, okay? And he goes on there in, in verse three, he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What Paul is setting up here and what you'll see the rest of, of this lesson is that we don't bring anything to the table. That, that God loved us even while we were in this state. And that's what, again, he's talking to church people. He's saying, well, this is the way we've all lived. At times in our life, we have chosen the way of sin, that I'm going to live this way. And it says we are deserving of wrath. In verse 4, he says, but because of his great love, 
for how perfect I am, right? Because of his great love and all that I have done for him, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by what? It is by grace you have been saved. What is the definition, and I I do want feedback on this, what was the definition of grace that you guys have worked with in your mind or heard before? Unmerited favor. Okay, so what that's saying is the grace of God is something we never deserved. But for some reason, I think a lot of times we get in our head that, well, maybe at some point we did deserve it. Because I was baptized and I've done all these things for you, Lord. I've taught these Bible classes. I've stood up in front of you uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, public speaking. God, now, you know, we, wouldn't, we might not say you owe me, but we are so transactional. I think when we think about that, we think about uh, terms like earn. I worked for it, and now I have earned something. But what you're seeing here is, is that what Paul's saying is you were dead, and it's only because of the grace of God that you have been saved. Remember, we talked about how we used to do the, the five-finger thing. You know, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. You got them all? And then we'd say, add on a, you know, if we had a, had a second, you know, second pinky there, we'd go on to live a faithful life. And, and what that can become there is, oh, those are things I've got to do. Well, that, that's fine. We participate with God, but none of those things matter at all without the love and mercy and grace of God. If Jesus doesn't come and die for our sins, I don't care how many times you get dipped in the water. What are you going to have faith in at that point? You're going to repent? So what? You still have sin, right? So without Jesus, none of that matters. And that's what we see here in Scripture. It is just by grace that you have been saved. It says, and God raised up with Christ and seated, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, that may be a little confusing. What Paul's getting at here as uh, you see the, the ministry of Jesus, Jesus will say the kingdom of God has come when you see these, these marvelous things from the Holy Spirit. You see the Spirit acting. He said, you know, the kingdom is here. But the kingdom doesn't come in fullness until the end of days, okay? So we look around, and and the church is part of this whole kingdom living here, right? But we look around our world, and we say, ooh, it's not fixed yet, right? Anybody agree with that? Just a couple of us? But we experience a fullness. We experience the whole thing later on. That's what he's saying uh, right here. But he he said he is expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God. Not by? You didn't know you were coming to participate so much, did you? So that no one can boast. Isn't it amazing? Just those two verses there saying this is all a gift for you. There is no reason at all that we should ever boast. We have gotten in some crazy discussions and debates and arguments over the years. 
I was discussing between services about um, with someone about how about you ever been in a discussion over uh, if somebody confesses on their deathbed, they want to come to faith on their deathbed, are they saved? Well, I hope our attitude is I sure hope so because I love them. And so we see see right here, but behind that question or behind that comment is the thought that God, look at me and all I have done, and they're going to scoot in here at the end. You really going to allow that, Lord? And the problem is that Jesus doesn't help us out here. Jesus tells this little parable in Matthew 20, and you probably don't remember it. You've probably tried to forget it because we don't like it. But what he talks about there is he talks about this guy who has a vineyard, and he wants to get workers to work in his vineyard. And so he goes out in the morning, he brings guys back, and he says, hey, if you'll work today, I'll give you one denarius. I said, all right, we'll work. Gets a little bit later in the day, and he's like, man, I need some more workers. He goes back into town here, you know, don't know where we go to find them, but he knew where to find them. And so he gets some more guys, same agreement, but they're working later. And finally, he, he gets guys, it says like 5 o'clock in the evening. He goes into town, and he's like, why are you all standing here? Why are you not working? Why haven't you been working all day? He said, nobody's hired us. He said, okay, come work for me. And the rest of the day would have probably been another hour. It says when the, the, the work shift was up, he said, gather everyone together, and I'm going to pay them. He said, start with the people I brought in last. And so the, the people that got there at the very end of the day, they stood there, and he gave them one denarius. And Jesus said, the people who were there first, who had worked all day, said, we've worked all day. We worked in the heat of the sun. We did all this work. We did the bulk of everything. Why are you giving them the same that you're giving me? And the vineyard owner looks at him like, what are you upset about? We agreed to this, right? You agreed to what you're getting. Are you upset about my generosity? And you see in that moment how much we value the give and take, and I want to be paid what I'm worth or what I think I'm owed, right? And that can slip into our understanding of grace. That's very difficult for us to see a gift and not try to reciprocate that. I, uh, I, almost, <laughs> I almost made uh, a part of Big Bang Theory um, a part of my lesson, and then Paul brought it up to me between uh, services, and so I'll just say it again. Anybody, tell me, raise your hand if you've watched Big Bang Theory before. You know, like, I don't want to lose everybody. I won't tell it. Okay, a little bit. So the main character, one of the main characters is Sheldon Cooper, and he's, he's super um, arrogant. He's all about himself. He's super smart, brilliant guy. But it gets to, he's got a neighbor named Penny. He's very socially awkward. But he finds out Penny is going to give him a gift. And he says, well, what you do around Christmas, he said, I hate it, because then you got to evaluate the friendship. Then you got to know, all right, well, are we close friends or are we distant? Because there's different values for each. And then you got to figure out, all right, what is she getting me? Because then I need to buy a present that's, you know, similar. You don't think you're like that? Why don't you, uh, uh, won't you buy somebody in here a car, and they'll give you this remote? You might feel a little gypped, right? And, and so he, he thinks about that, and it comes back, and she gets him something that he could not imagine. So he, he's, he's planned for it all. He's got all kinds of gifts, all different sizes, 
And he was going to just like go to the back and say, okay, well, it's worth this much. And she gave him, if you're a Star Trek fan, she gave him a napkin signed by Leonard Nimoy. And he was so ecstatic that he, it just threw him off. And she said, I'm sorry. He wiped his mouth on it. He said, oh, I've got the DNA of Leonard Nimoy. He said, with a healthy ovum, I could create my own. She said, I'm just giving you the napkin. But, but anyway, he goes back to, the, to his bedroom, and he comes back, and he's got every gift he bought. And she says, Sheldon, he says, I know it's not enough. Because we, we, we try to reciprocate what's there. But the gift of God's grace is so valuable, we can't do anything to touch it. Romans 6 says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Anybody done some things in your past you don't really like to think about anymore? Yeah. Paul says here, there are two ways you can go with this. Remember, dead in sin, alive in Christ. He says, think about your past where you lived in sin and you did all those things you wanted to do and you, you knew they were wrong, but... He said, now you're ashamed of them. He said, what benefit did you reap at that time? You hear that word benefit. Those things result in death. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So a benefit you receive, again, not earn, benefit you receive is eternal life. For the wages, listen to this, how he phrases this, the wages of sin is death. So I'm going to go sin. I'm going to live a life of sin. I get payment for that. And that payment is what, church? Death. But the payment of God? Still a gift, isn't it? Is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace is a gift. My favorite professor from Harding named Dr. Mike Ireland. He was a preaching professor, wonderful guy. And uh, he preached on grace two weeks ago. And I'm just going to share... Uh, kind of three of his uh, analogies or metaphors, whatever you want to call them, uh, to talk about this. Because uh, one thing he said, you know, we just have a hard time kind of wrapping our mind around this gift that we can't give anything to. He said, I, I don't want to offend anyone. He said, but you have no points to give. When I asked last week, did, did any of you ever grow up with the kind of visual image that we've got this bar and we give so much, and then God gives the rest. Anybody kind of grew up in that? Something similar? And it was always, for me, it seemed like it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like an 80-20. We do 80, and God, you know, takes care of us. Paul told me between services, he said, we almost look like great, look at grace like a, uh, an overdraft protection. Like you do what you can, and then we got something here in place. And that's unhelpful. Can you imagine all the scriptures we read this morning and going to God and saying, well, you know, I did do 80. I did most of the work. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being that arrogant? That's why Paul says what he says, so that no one can boast. But Dr. Ireland says, think about this. He says, think about the gift of oxygen, the gift of air you have around you. Anybody not breathing right now? You have chosen to accept that gift, right? Now, can you imagine breathing in the air and saying, you know what? It's no longer a gift. I have done the breathing. I have worked. I've put this into place here. Can you imagine that? No. I told first service, and it's probably not anybody in here. I said, but we probably have some people stubborn enough that they held their breath when I started talking about that. No, I'm not breathing. You, now, you can choose 
to not take the gift. You can wrap your head in a plastic bag, tape it up, and, you know, see where that takes you. But it's still a gift. If you choose to accept it and breathe in and live, it's still a gift. What about at Christmas? Anybody give gifts in here? Still kind of awkward, yeah? Just trade $100 bills or trade gift cards. But can you imagine someone actually giving you this gift and as they hand it to you, you open it up and you open the box and you say, well, I've done the work here. Now we're even. I've put in the effort. Now we're even. It's still a gift, isn't it? We don't think like that. But for some reason, I think a lot of us, when we're thinking about grace, when we're thinking specifically about salvation and, hey, I'm baptized, it's almost like we get this feeling that, hey, now this is, uh, now God, we're even. You can't give me something I won't return, right? And I, I'm one of those who gets frustrated. I, I was laid off one time and um, my company brought everyone into to central Arkansas and I didn't live in central Arkansas. Uh, but as they, as they brought that in and I lost my job, I get, a, I get a thing in the mailbox for like $500, like a Visa card. And the jerks didn't even sign it. So what could John not do? I couldn't even thank him. I couldn't pay him back. I couldn't even thank him. And God gives you this gift, and we don't, we don't think of a gift like, oh, man, I worked for it. We want to feel like, man, I earned this. What do I do with it? We don't talk about this in, in baptism, when we bring somebody up out of the water, we don't say, all right, God, they've worked their way in. Out loud, we don't. Do we understand that it doesn't matter what we do, that we come to this with nothing? Can you imagine putting a value on the gift that is God's grace and love and mercy that covers as... as uh, uh, DC talked about a few minutes ago, and, and we sang about as well, grace that is greater than all my sin. But the thing in here is so valuable that even if you thought you could bring something, that you would never sniff any fraction of anything, right? Because it's all about God and how much he loves us. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, remember last week as we talked about this, we talked about how many times our thoughts are about how can I, like the, like the whole bar thing, I do so much and then God will cover the rest. And, and, and it, we just get that all messed up. And there are people here in Romans who are saying, you know what we ought to do? We ought to help God out and I won't even live for him uh, you know, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but what I'll do is I'll live any way I want to so that God looks so gracious that we're just helping God out here. Orpheus, Dr. Orpheus Hayward says it this way. He said, that's a Gentile thought right there. He said, that's, that's, a, that's a lost person thought right there. Shall we go on sinning so that God's grace may be shown? No, we, we participate with God, don't we? That as we enter this relationship, it's not about the work we do. We, we, we come in this relationship to have this right relationship with God. He says, we are those who have died to sin. 
How can we live in it any longer? Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, what? Christ died for us. I think we've got the imagery wrong. If, if we pictured a timeline here, I think for a lot of us, we see here's our birth. And we walk towards this point of baptism where we come into being clothed with Jesus to experiencing this death, burial, and resurrection. And at that moment, Jesus dies for us because now we're worth it. Now we earned it. That's not the case, is it? What does this verse tell you? While you were still powerless, while you had nothing, while you were still in your sin, the timeline goes like this. Jesus died for you back there. You didn't have anything you could think you even brought. All we do in having this faith, being baptized, is accept the gift, just like you do at Christmas, with thanks. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, preacher? We just don't do anything? Do we do like we just read uh, in uh, the last verse or the last scripture where Paul's having to deal with these people who think, hey, we'll just go on sin. We'll just live any way we want to. Was well, that a part of joining Jesus? Is that a way, is that a part of clothing yourself in Christ and being a Jesus person? Absolutely not. We, we get out and we join him in this. Look at this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are things we do, Right? Part of having that relationship with Jesus is being obedient. But again, what I want you to be clear on today is we don't do works so that God will save us. We do works because God has already saved us. And we're joining him with that. We talked about, um, when, I, when I think thought through the sermon, by the way, I didn't sleep well last night because I kept preaching it to myself. Still may not be right. I, I would just do it again next week. But that, that passage from, from 1 Peter 3, uh, starting in, in 21 here, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And, and we kind of hang on to that. We're, we're good Church of Christ people. And we hang on to that. Baptism saves you. You ought to do this, forgetting that well, you're missing the point. But look what he says right after that. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge, and it's not pledge, it's appeal, of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you how? By the resurrection of who? That water doesn't mean a thing without Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him? There in Philippians 2, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I got you, preacher. You said we don't work, we don't earn. Well, Paul said here in Philippians 2, to work it out with fear and trembling. What do we do? We offer an invitation and go home. No, look what he says right after this. For it is, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is the very empowerment of you being able to go and do these things. 
again, not a, hey, God, uh, or, or, or out of fear that, I, you know what, I have to do this because God won't save me otherwise. No, he already saved you. He gave you this. And if you put on Jesus in baptism, you've already taken it. And it's still a gift. But being a part of, of, of God's family, the trust that we talk about in faith is we don't have a, a thin view of faith, but a full view of faith. A full view of faith says, all right, I trust you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Not that you will ever earn, but that he gives freely. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. You don't hear a bunch of, you know, you make yourself good enough. We know and rely on what? The love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. So when we join in baptism, we join this relationship with Christ, we are being matured over and over, right? There are things that God is working on inside our spirit. Anybody gotten past some things that God's worked on in you? You never thought you would get past X, Y, Z, and now you are. But this is God's love being manifested in us. And he said, this is how you know. Remember, we talked about that for a few weeks. You can actually have security in your salvation because it's all about your attitude. So you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, Why? Because he first loved us. Our love is a response to him, the things he has already done. You don't earn it. You don't say, man, John has been a great guy this year. It is all about God's love for us. I'll finish with these two things. Jesus says it this way. As he's, I, I thought of so many things to try and explain this to you, and I didn't like any of them. Uh, so I, so I, went with, uh, I went with a couple of short things that Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. He said, this gift, the kingdom of God, the salvation I offer you, the, the grace of God, the mercy of God, is so valuable that when you look on it and you understand it, you will give up everything else that's going on and say, I want to live for that. And apparently he didn't think they got that, so he told this one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I am so focused and so just uh, astounded by the grace and mercy of God that I can't think of anything else. Anybody like me in like estate sales or yard sales? Remember when we had those back in the day? It's been a few years. You ever found something really, really valuable there? Karen hasn't. I have. I'm just better at it, I guess. <laughs> but it is amazing when you, you find that you don't, but when you go to these things, a lot of times you don't know what you're looking for, do you? I, we're just out here wandering around in life, and all of a sudden we hear the good news and we realize what a valuable thing we have been missing out on. 
And so we see the grace of God in this moment. And because of it, and because he saved us, and if we will join him, well, it's ours. So I just want to, to say this. Hopefully you'll take it with you. I, I want us to be, I guess, careful with the language we use. Because when we use words like earn, which Scripture never uses like that, uh, we imply some things that just aren't right. I like better words like accept. You accept this gift. You participate with God on his mission and what he wants to do. But we're not making a wage doing it. We're not working on paying him back. We live and exist in the love and grace of God in that moment. And so that's the most important thing for me and those, who, uh, those of you who, have, uh, who are living life in Christ right now. I, I pray right now that, that for everyone in here that that relationship is right. That we understand how important of a thing God's grace is, God's love is for us. And that if that relationship is strained or, or needs repair, let's do that today. Let's make it right. Enter into the water of baptism and start that journey with him. That I've been a, I've been a, uh, a Christian since September 18th, 1994. And if you're baptized today, this gift is just as much yours as it is mine. And anybody else who's been baptized a whole lot longer than you. So we're going to offer an invitation song. Would you make that right right now as we stand at sea?